today on Ag News Daily. I did the young farmer thing first, and that really got me involved with Michigan politics. I saw what Michigan was doing to farmers and just how much laws and rules at the state level. Happy Friday, folks. Another Ag News Daily episode here. I'm joined by guest co-host today, Gary Rasmussen. Of course, this is Delaney Howell on the Ag News Daily podcast. Gary, you have been on the podcast, but it's been quite a little while since we've had you on. You're from the Uper area of Michigan, but tell us a little bit about your farming operation. Yeah, thanks, Lane. Thanks to be back. Yeah, last time we talked, um, we were in the midst of having a baby, which we did, a little boy again, <laughs> Rowan. So, uh, yeah, and he's actually walking right now already. Oh, so it's wow. Been that long. I know. That's crazy. I know, and I'm burning calories, which is probably not a bad thing, uh, chasing <laughs> on the house. And, and uh, yeah, so it's been uh, a bunch of barrel monkeys up here. Um, yeah, no, I got a 60-cow dairy farm up here, of course, up in the UP. Um, or later on in the interview, too, I got to talk to Senator Ed McBroom, state Senator Ed McBroom a little bit. He's got a dairy farm also, so we kind of know each other a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of raised basically some crops up here to feed my animals, ship milk to Gilbert's Dairy. Uh, if you're wondering where the UP or the Uper land is, it's that huge chunk of land mass that's right above Wisconsin. Um, you don't hear too much about us up here, but that might be a good thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I will say, I think people from the Uper area have, like, the funniest accent. Like, it's a great accent, but it's definitely, I think it's very distinguishable. Yeah, it's kind of a Canadian mixed thing, and mine ain't <laughs> that bad. If you were to get more up towards Marquette in that area, oh, man, it's, and even, like, the eastern, western part of the UP, man, it's, it's that's where you get Oival and Toivo, and I don't know if you ever hear of the, the Upers. It's like a musical group. They do some singing and that. And, uh, <laughs> you should really check that out, Delaney. You'd, you'd really like that. Oh, you think I would? I Yeah. Have you heard of the, the 30th Point Buck? <laughs> no. Oh, oh, that's a classic, Delaney. Oh, my. My, my, my. No, you got to get in on that, girl. Okay. I'll look into that. <laughs> well, you have definitely been um, one of the longest supporters, probably, of the Ag News Daily podcast. We've been uh, interacting with you for quite some time. So it's exciting to have you guest host with me today, Gary. You are always sending us news, too. So I know that you're on top of it today. What's some news that's jumping out at you? Yeah, I kind of got to keep up on things. Every week I do like a radio program, so I'm always kind of hunting for stories and looking for things. Of course, get some from you guys once in a while, some leads, I guess you could call them. Um, one of the big things I've been kind of following here the last few years is actually, I don't know if you've been keeping track on this, but it's called the Argus Ledger out in South Dakota. It's a newspaper. And what they did was since to, uh, was it 2011, they've been trying to do a Freedom of Information Act basically on how stamp money gets basically paid out, where it goes, mm-hmm. what do they buy and the USDA said, no, 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 we really ain't going to do that. So they've actually taken it all the way through the court system. And then now, last week, the oral arguments were actually heard in the Supreme Court. Now, I'm guessing if you're going to hear the arguments now, we're probably going to get a ruling until probably back in, uh, probably, we're going to get a ruling until probably midsummer, I'm guessing. Um, you know, one of the things, the Freedom of Information Act, it's right off their website. It says it's to ensure informed citizens uh, the function of a domestic, democratic uh, society. So basically you can look at everything and see where money gets going, where it goes. Uh, Delaney, I could go on to the Farm Service Agency in your hometown. I could look up what your dad gets. I can go see what Mike Hmm. would get. So that end of it is open. So why under the SNAP program we can't see where the money gets paid? What the industry is saying or the the people that are represented with the Food Marketing Institute, but they said, well, we really can't do that because it's kind of commercial. There's trade secrets, financial information, it's privileged and confidential. 
So what's going to happen now is the Supreme Court's going to look at this. There's a case, I believe it's from 1974, is what they're kind of going to look at. And there's two parts of the case in which they're going to look at. The confidential part under what's called Exemption 4 under the Freedom of Information Act. First, the court asks whether to disclose, the disclosure would impair the government's ability to obtain the necessary information for the future. That's the first part of it. The second part they're going to have to ask or the question is, um, will this cause any harm? to the position of the person where the information was obtained from. So, and in the case of, say, like a Walmart or a Myers or somebody that's doing that, is that going to hurt their sales? I guess that's mm-hmm. how they could look at it. But And it's not I'm, releasing information of the specific individuals. It's releasing information of stores saying this is the money we're getting in from SNAP, essentially. That's how I understand it, at least. Is that right, exactly, Gary? Exactly. Okay. And one of I'm kind of in it, into it because as we see Walmart now, they were doing their own dairy. They're starting to do their own beef. Um, right. You know, as, as a taxpayer, man, we should be able to know where every nickel goes and where it goes. So mm-hmm. that, that's, I just think kind of interesting. I'm going to keep following this. I, like, I, I sure hope that they do, um, you know, have the verdict out where we can look at this. I, I would like to see where it goes and how, you know, it'd be kind of interesting looking through those numbers. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing some of those numbers. While we're talking about what's going on in the greater economy, Gary, it looks like we have seen unemployment rate drop again. We've seen job growth surge in April, and the unemployment rate dropped to more than a 49-year low. We're at 3.6% right now for the unemployment rate. I think that's great. I think it shows maybe we don't need as many dollars allocated to programs like SNAP, hopefully. No, that's exactly it. And uh, kind of a larger scale, Delaney, I honestly think, looking at this, as long as the economy stays strong and you have this unemployment number like this, the only time we've ever bucked the trend, and I know I hate to talk politics, but we're getting into the <laughs> presidential the economy stays strong, I think Trump's going to get reelected hands down. The only mm-hmm. time we've ever bucked that trend was back with Carter when the economy was kind of faulting and high interest rates was a one-term president and Bush. He was a one-term president. The economy had kind of a falter there a little bit and he raised taxes. If you have these unemployment numbers like this, man, that's hard to beat. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, while we're talking politics, real quick, Delaney, you are in Iowa. I do not envy you right now with all the president. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hate it. I'm not. A, I, I mean, I, I definitely pay attention to politics, but I hate. I hate all of the ads, all the people coming here, the people that. Like, this is maybe bad to say, but I feel like the politicians pretend to care about issues impacting Iowa, like agriculture. But I, I feel like in reality, they don't care. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm curious if you're, you know, how your state makes its money. I think a third of it comes from corn and soybeans, mm-hmm. a third comes from pigs. And I'm guessing the other third comes <laughs> from, like, coffee shops and politicians. Oh, gosh. You know, that president. I don't know. I, just, I don't know. Uh, I, I do not envy you, and I'm so glad you guys got to do it so the rest of us don't have to. I know. That's true. And speaking <laughs> of re-election, um, another thing besides this really booming economy that we're seeing, at least in mainstream economy, maybe not so much in agriculture right now, is the USMCA agreement, and we're seeing some folks kind of threaten President Trump that they're not going to, Democrats, of course, are threatening President Trump, saying they're not going to push this through if he doesn't fix what's going on right now with the steel and aluminum tariffs. And they said that this is definitely, you know, going to be a running point for him to become reelected. And if he doesn't have this ratified by the time elections occur, the Democrats are saying it's probably not looking very good for him to become reelected into his presidency for a second term. They're kind of threatening uh, him that, there. 
Yeah, exactly. And Delaney, uh, of course, I'm next to the can. I'm right next to Canada up here, and uh, I'm also from a very heavily unionized state. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm probably not going to be very famous for saying this, but I don't think this is going to get done before it gets elected. There's I know. Two parts to this. One, they still in Canada. Canada, they are in such a pickle right now between what's going on with this Huawei executive. They're getting their canola. They're then it's a dumpster fire relations between Canada, uh, Canada and China. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So this is their way of looking back. Well, screw you. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way I look at it. So they're they are not going to take this up as long as those steel and aluminum tariffs are on. I do not believe whatsoever. Um, and as far as like Nancy Pelosi, this goes back to my point too. Why would the Democrats give Trump a victory like this to boom the economy? Right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you rather tamp down the whole economy a little bit, and you'd have a better shot of winning? You know, getting your president in there than doing that. Um, it just seems like every time the Democrats, they, I'm, I'm not trying parties here. I could care. It's just that it seems like they're just keep one thing after another. Well, this is wrong. This is wrong. It, it's it's kind of like a bad breakup, really. Honestly, you got it. <laughs> it is. It's just you know, this is a problem. Let's fix it. Well, no, now there's this problem. It's just I, I just don't see it done. I, yeah. I really don't want to say that, but I just don't see it being done. You know, it's interesting you say that too. I was listening to a speaker from Farm Credit uh, Services, Todd Van Todd Van Hoosen. I believe is Mm -hmm. how you pronounce his last name, but he was talking about this is like the this administration is the most diverse administration when you look at cabinet members, when you look at Congress, and then when you look at political ideologies, we just continue to become more and more split in Democrats versus Republicans. Usually people were kind of closer to the middle, but as we progress forward, we're seeing more people sway very hard right or very hard left and that's making it really hard to get things done in in congress in dc and ultimately it's affecting what we're doing in agriculture and it's really unfortunate to see that right now yeah there was a i listened to something here a while back it's not that we're becoming more divided it's just that become we're becoming very good at being very tribalistic mm-hmm. where right. we kind of align ourselves it, that seems to be more i don't think it's I don't know. It, it's just a mess. And But I also honestly think because of this, I do think the next generation, I'll probably get into this a little later on with Ed, but the the next generation, I believe, is starting to see more libertarian-minded. I think mm-hmm. me and Mike are, I mean, we may be a little off on a few things, but man, we, <laughs> we can, 90% of the stuff we can get along with. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a registered that, libertarian, so I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I don't even know. I, I don't know. I get stuff from all of them. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, well, let's see. Gary, I know weather has been affecting a lot of what folks are doing right now. We've got the Kansas wheat tour wrapping up, of course, in Kansas. Their average yield for winter wheat, their yield projections, I should say, is 47.2 bushels per acre, and that's up significantly from their 2018 yield estimates, which was uh, 38 bushels per acre. So we're seeing hard red, win- hard red winter wheat country um, thriving kind of in this moist year, but a lot of other folks are being pretty far delayed and in getting into the fields, getting corn planted, getting beans planted. Of course, what are you guys? What are you guys getting as far as weather up there in the Uber area, Gary? Um, the only thing I planted right now has been the tractor about six times friend more. <laughs> oh no! Um, and my my son Rhett, he said, uh, you know, Dad, you are very good at getting that tractor stuck. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I am son. So. Uh, no, we're just wet like this. I think the local guy around here, we've got like 
Uh, I think he's got 60 acres of peas and oats in the ground, and that's been it. And honestly, Delaney, if you could get out to the field for maybe a day last, what was it, Sunday or something, that was a real nice day. I think Easter Sunday, of course, we were all inside eating dinner with our families, mm-hmm. but that was about the only day we could really get anything done. Up here locally, we are really hurting right now. Our alfalfa crop really got decimated. Mm-hmm. A lot of new seedings are gone. Um, not many things can live under four inches of ice. So, yeah, yeah Wisconsin, I think I've seen one Dunn County, and a lot of places in Wisconsin, a lot of agronomists and that I follow and everything, they're looking at 35 to 70% of the um, alfalfa crop gone. Mm-hmm. And it's been so cold up here. We're not even getting any hay. I was hoping to have my cows on a pasture this week, maybe next week. But, I mean, there's nothing out there. I mean, I got guys' lawns look better than some of my pasture right now. And it, it's and right now, and it's not just here. It's even like all of Wisconsin. They have, I mean, for 2% with corn and that. I talked to some of the feed agronomist guys. They got fertilizer. They're ready to go. Everything's filled up. We are not going to have any delays. Like, I know you guys are running into mm-hmm. fertilizer net. Everything's just sitting and waiting, but nobody's getting nothing done. Um, like, they're doing, I mean, a lot of manure pits are getting filled up, too. So, we, man, if we get a corn crop in by a week before June 1st, man, we're going to be really oh. pushing it because a lot of guys up here, we got two weeks worth of manure hauling to do. Before you just, even <laughs> get planted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's, and I think next week we're supposed to have rain on and off too. Yeah. So it's just getting later and later. Now if we have to, Ben, if you got to get your corn and some small grains in, but now if we have to start looking at our alfalfa crop and possibly tearing that up, and what are we going to have to do? Mm-hmm. So we might be a scorched earth tactic of just getting everything planted we got. So yeah. No one's really looking forward to it. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I think we're even, especially in the dairy industry, we're kind of depressed the way the prices are already. No one's got all this ahead of us. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, reading some research done by the University of Illinois, two different research pieces here, but talking about yield loss because of the late planting dates that we're starting to get to here, April 10th is kind of the ideal time to plant, or excuse me, April 20th is the ideal time to plant for most of the I states, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, etc. And then from there, once you get to the week of May 10th, you lose 4% that week. You lose 8% the next week as far as yields go. And other research from the University of Illinois is pointing to that years in, in, in years of excessive rainfall, we've seen reduced U.S. corn yields by as much as 34% relative to the expected yield. So we are definitely going to see this impacted I think in yield this year, but then you talk to some farmers and they said, you know, in the years we had really wet years, we had record yields. So I think it's, it's just going to be a wait and see game, unfortunately. Yeah. The old, was the old saying, uh, a bushel a day after the 10th of May, mm-hmm. and the old, uh, on the rain side is, uh, rain makes rain. I know those are very, so, two very conflict, conflicting, uh, adages, but. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly, but um, but I think we have kind of a surplus of uh, you know corn and mm-hmm. soybeans. I, I I think we're going to be all right, especially right now too. Like even like this alfalfa we're losing up here, it's good to know that there's ample amount of beans. I know yeah. it's good for the bean guys out there, but we can get some protein. But uh, of course, you know that, that feed mill needs its money too, so it doesn't Absolutely. really cost a benefit to really push it. I don't know. Yeah, and if we get some weather delays, that could potentially be a small catalyst for the grain markets, which we absolutely need right now. For producers so yeah i know milk actually came a little bit over 16 dollars yeah 
And um, one thing on that I think is kind of interesting, especially the dairy industry, it's coming at the time when we what's called the spring flush, just when a lot of guys have cows, heifers not freshing, they don't want to do in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. And we got it at, at that point. That's very odd. I've, I've honestly never seen that. Hmm. It is over, it, it, I think we dropped a little down in production. We're over $16 a hundred for milk, but man, we, we occurred a lot. I know you were talking about yesterday. We occurred a lot of debt here over the last five years. Yeah. And now to get caught, I mean, you, you, it takes a lot to make, you know, $20,000, it takes one phone call to drop that fertilizer. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it, 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 but it's nice to see it's over that. I think it's going to continue to go up, um, I, or at least stabilize, especially now this news coming out about the alfalfa crop and that. I think it's going to stabilize. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I see better things, hopefully, on the horizon. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of other places overseas, they can't really get rid of anything right now. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean they... They're, they're in a drought to themselves. So I think the dairy industry hopefully will come around. I hope so, too. Gary, since we're talking about prices, should we uh, look at where commodity markets close for today? Absolutely, Dylan. You can take it away. All right. I sure will. And, folks, we are in pivotal times, some good, some bad for your commodities, depending on what you raise. But it's always great to have a marketing plan in place and probably essential to have it in place at this point. Give the Zaner Group a call today to have them help you Put together your marketing plan. You can give them a call at 312-277-0050. Looking across the grain markets today, corn was the only winner it looks like. The May corn contract closed up a penny at 363 even. The December closed up just three quarters of a cent at 387 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the July contract trading down a penny to close at 842 and a quarter, while the November contract closing down three quarters of a cent to end at 8.64 and a quarter. In the wheat pit, this slide down continues. The July contract cutting six cents to end the day at 4.38 even, while the December cut four and a half cents to close at 4.63 and a quarter. The livestock markets did not have a pretty day as well. The live cattle contract continues. This is the ninth trading session, maybe 10th trading session today that we've seen live cattle and feeder cattle continue their downward slide with the June contract closing down 25 cents to end at 113.42 and a half, the August cut a dollar and a half to close at 109.15. In the feeder cattle pits, the May contract cut a dollar and a half to close at 137.15, while the May shedding a dollar to close at 146.37 and a half. In the lean hog market, seeing some split here with the May contract cutting 75 cents to end at 85.35, the July adding 15 cents. Tickles at 95.67 and a half. And of course, we've got to talk about dairy. We've got Gary Rasmussen guest co-hosting with me today. The May Class 3 milk futures up 21 cents on the day to close at 16.38. And the June up 25 cents to close at 16.60. All right, Gary, we've got the markets out of the way. Who are we talking to for today's interview? You kind of went above and beyond as a guest co-host and you gathered your own interview for us today. That's right, Delaney. I think that pushing the markets, uh, I think that has to do a lot with Culver's yesterday. I'm just, just speculating. <laughs> Absolutely. Part, you know, I'm talking to a, a politician, dairy farmer extraordinaire of the 38th District up here, State Senator Ed McRoom. All right, sitting down today with uh, Ed McRoom for the podcast. Ed, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, Ed, you kind of got two hats. You have the farming side, you got the political side. Why don't you give us a little bit of uh, background for on both? Well, I was uh, born and raised here on this dairy farm and uh, been farming with my folks and my brother for a long time. And my wife and I have five kids, and Carl's wife has 
eight, so we got 13 kids, 12 and under here. And uh, my dad's in his 70s and still uh, milking 120 cows and farming about 600 acres of corn, wheat, and hay. And the farm's been in the family for 102 years now. Um, then in 2010, decided... You figured to, you didn't have enough to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I always had... Um, an interest in someday being in politics. I thought it'd be interesting. And as I got older, it started, you know, from that was back in middle school and high school. And then mm -hmm. as I got older, it was kind of like, well, those guys that are there aren't anything special. <laughs> so why shouldn't I be able to try that? And then um, after college, 2005, I got really involved with Farm Bureau's Young Farmer Program. Okay. I started representing the whole UP for young farmers. Yeah, because you were kind of young when you ran, right? Yeah. You were, what, yeah. late 20s? In 2010, I was, uh, I started at 28, or 28 years old, um, but I did the young farmer thing first, and that really got me involved with Michigan politics, and mm -hmm. saw what Michigan was doing to farmers, and just how much laws and rules at the state level were impacting things, and that got me much more interested in that, and for education, the side of me that got my right. teaching degree and was in the schools was interested too. So the dream for going to Washington sort of morphed into a dream to go to Lansing, but I still thought, well, I have to be a lot older, know a mm -hmm. lot of people, and have a lot of money. And then uh, Tom Casperson came along in mm -hmm. fall of '09 and said, that's not true. You can do it without any of those three things. <laughs> that's and, true. You really, you really bucked the so trend. And I, so I, I did. And um, it surprised everybody when I won a big primary and then I had to beat an incumbent. Mm -hmm. um, I think it surprised me as much as anybody. And I think one of the things that really helped you on your campaign was you did it the old-fashioned way. You knocked on the doors, and one of the doors you knocked on happened to be Bo Reynolds at the time, one of the radio DJs. Now, I don't know if it was strategic on your part or what it was. <laughs> it wasn't. It I wasn't. No idea. You just talked to him, and the next thing you know, he's like, oh, you had some pretty free radio advertising. <laughs> but it worked out good. So it, a lot of God provided a lot of things like that, surprise things that opened some doors. Coming, yeah, yeah. Met amazing people knocking on doors i didn't know yeah. one person for the next especially in delta county i was you know not that familiar well, yeah so anyway then served six years in the house and uh senator casperson turned out of the senate in 18 and i ran to replace him and, and here you are today right a lot of people didn't think i could win that either yeah. and i wasn't the favored candidate in that but managed to pull off a, a pretty solid victory um must be doing something right, right? Well, I guess. <laughs> and, of course, it's been a lot more challenging. Because, uh, you know, Carl was one of my biggest supporters. Yep. And he quit his job at the school so I could mm -hmm. be involved with politics. And he made it possible. He watched the kids and the family and the cows. Yep. yep. And uh, then last summer in the middle of the campaign, he passed away. And, uh, yep. It's you know, been really challenging since then. A little inside, I was up here, Carlos, and I think we were dealing with piece of equipment, and he's like, you know, I don't know, Eddie, he's running for politics, and the first thing he did was he gave himself a pay cut. I don't know if he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of, well, he's doing it right, so. But yeah, no, Ed, I wanted to get you on the podcast a little bit. Um, I think we as youpers, you're the second youper on the podcast, by the way. Um, you look at the first. I think as a youpers, I think it's kind of a commodity that should be exported. I really do. I think it's kind of a lot of homegrown values and things like that. We're kind of Texas North, I look at it. Um, I was. I, I just want to get your idea on some regional things, a couple states. I always say that uh, there's three reasons that they can't ever take away guns, and that's Texas, Montana, and the UP. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right like that. Um, of course, I just want to get some kind of regional, a state thing, a kind of a national thing. Um, uh, of course, CWD, we just finally got it here this past year uh, oh. in the UP. It's one of our biggest 
things we do up here is deer hunting. Yeah, they discovered it here on my farm. That's, really? That's I knew. I heard the Wasita dairy. I wasn't it sure. Wasn't, yeah. Well, there's only two dairy farms in Wasita, so it's uh, not hard for folks to figure out. It was. I'm the closer run of the river. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people, if you don't know the geography up here, you basically got a river of, what is it, maybe 75 yards that separate us from Wisconsin, maybe a little more. Right, than and I'm about four miles from that river. Exactly. And so it was. we kind of knew it was going to come here. We did have a little bit of contingencies in place. We were kind of getting the idea of it behind us. But any new developments on it? Are we looking at baiting bands? What's going forward with this? Yeah, so, I mean, after the one deer was found last fall, um, you know, really went aggressive with deer heads and stuff into last season and through December and didn't find any more. So, you know, I think a lot of us kind of felt like, okay, that means, you know, status quo going forward, just more observation Mm -hmm. and see if anything more develops from this or if this is just a deer that wandered over here. And the, uh, now there's some talk that they want a more aggressive approach, even for having just found the one. And so we kind of wait and, and see what the DNR is going to propose to the NRC in May, and then the NRC could theoretically um, push through a ban of feeding UP-wide or in just a small region surrounding this area, or they could put off for a year. So there's a lot of different options on the table right now, but I don't know what the department's going to recommend. There's been uh, a stakeholders meeting about Mm -hmm. three weeks ago, and there's a lot of argument over what was actually decided at that meeting. Initially, there was a talk about just doing a 10-mile radius around my farm. Yep. Well, that's hard to identify what's yeah. 10 miles from here. Yeah, so then they thought, well, we should do townships that are adjacent to the 10-mile radius, which that makes some more sense. But then it's like, well, are we talking platted townships or are we talking uh, <laughs> political townships? Yeah, yeah. So then there was an argument about that. So then some said, well, let's just make it the core zone, which kind of extended you know, up 95, across 69, all the way to Escanaba. Oh, jeez. Um, and then down. Cool. And that was an enormous area that's and good, covers yeah. a huge amount of uh, deer country. You're doing that, you might as well do the UP. So, <laughs> right. so there's a lot of argument over what's going to be and what's not. And uh, my committee down in Lansing had a hearing on it two weeks ago. And we heard a lot of different viewpoints. And there's a lot of farmers make a lot of money uh, deer bait and everything else. And that's, the thing... And that's, that's one of the sticking points, at least I have heard, or that's kind of, you know, scared of and, and can't I, blame them. And I, as a farmer, of course, have, you know, dual views, too. It'd be, you know, great for my farm and everybody else's to have less deer running around. Exactly, yeah. Uh, at the same point, I represent a population that enjoys hunting and feeding deer yeah. and baiting that's deer. That's big business up here. And so, and there's farmers who, that's part of their livelihood. Yeah, exactly. So, it's a complicated issue for everybody right now. I kind of fall into the perspective of a couple things so one if we were to put a strict ban in place was it would it even be enforceable i mean that seems yeah. very difficult for me to believe that it could be fairly enforced um two the, there may be good science mm-hmm. behind bans and, or restrictions on baiting and feeding but there's also science that uses baiting and feeding yep and how do we reach a balance point on that? And yeah. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert, so I won't pretend to come with the answer to that. But I think I talked to a couple of folks with the department and, and others that I respect a lot who said, you know, it's, it's usually not right to just completely eliminate mm-hmm. one option, which is part of good scientific management, yeah. just because you don't like some of its outcomes. Yeah. We may need a more nuanced approach. Maybe a ban in certain areas, but not the entire region. 
So I think, you know, there are a lot of cooler heads mm -hmm. in this discussion, and hopefully the cooler heads uh, will prevail. I don't, I don't like just swinging the pendulum hard one way or the other and uh, making bad mistakes. Because if, if we put a hard ban in place and people don't go hunting and we mm -hmm. take fewer deer, that's not going to be good for it. No, no, that's, that's, a big, that's big business up here in the UP. So. so the thing I've asked at this point is that the NRC make sure that it do a hearing in the UP before mm -hmm. it makes a decision, and two, that it not make a decision in the middle of this year after farmers have already planted crops okay. for this fall's baiting season. Exactly. That when, well, that's what I was getting at. Cause my son, we were thinking of planting some pumpkins. Right. But we <laughs> so you guys go pumpkins, they're going to grow yep. cabbage, they're going to grow these things for deer. Yep to sell them and then all of a sudden be told you're not allowed to, that's just not fair. Oh. All right, Ed, uh, switching gears now, there's a lot of talk nationally. Um, hemp industry, yeah, a lot of it's going on. Um, I'm kind of on the fence of I don't think it's the ostrich emu fad of the 90s. No, I think it's and more I think, sustainability. I think there's that. some oil. I think there's some potential there. I personally like the industrial side of it. Yeah. I really do not like paying $60 for a baler twine for my baler. <laughs> so I'm just saying if there's someone out there that's thinking about doing the twine, I'm, I'm all game yeah. for that. Um, anything coming down the pike on that as far as the state of Michigan? Where we sit? Are we looking at? Obviously, the cousin. We are very favorable here. Yeah. In the state of Michigan, marijuana. We, you know, <laughs> yeah, we seem to be very favorable on that. So. so when I was in the house, we first started passing some rules in regards to hemp and trying to be a more open state, doing research, growing, and things like that. And so we were an early adopter, and mm -hmm. I expect we'll continue to be. I know my uh, leadership in the Senate is very excited about hemp and was a little frustrated with the state issuing some rules about how to get a license to grow. And okay. then why are we issuing the license? Well, it turns out because the feds require us to issue a license. Oh, okay, okay. So, so feds still have some... Right. Yeah, there's still some pretty strict rules coming down from the feds on it but it's opening up and so i'm excited about where that industry could go but i i've not even that old i mm -hmm. mean neither are you but yet you know how many times have we had msu or somebody coming here's the golden ticket for agriculture do this you know switch grass switch grass is going to field solve. peas i yeah. remember that yeah yep. and so now yep. you know they talk hemp the same way it grows everywhere it solves all your soil problems it'll yep. always be worth something yeah, well, you know, that people have been telling farmers that for thousands of years. Yeah. Um, so I don't expect it's going to be any sort of golden ticket for all of agriculture. A few guys will make money. Yep. Other guys will try. Try, um, exactly, yeah. And, I mean. and that's the way it will be. And, you know, I'm happy for them. I don't plan to switch. I no. Growing cows is enough work as it is. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with that. But I, I do, you know, plan to be as best an ally as I can to the hemp growing okay. In Michigan, and if we can send letters to the feds to tell them to back off on the overregulation of it, I'm right there with that. Where does the kind of regulation come from? Them kind of the oils? I mean, like the CD. Is there some sort of certain percentage of oil or something that? Well, most of what I understand is the regulations still revolve around the wanting to make sure that what you're growing is hemp and not marijuana. Okay, okay. You know, and I mean, for a long time, at least the way I understood when I first got in the house. In order to grow hemp, you had to get a license from the DEA, put up a fence and 24-hour lighting and surveillance around the place <laughs> to keep people from breaking in to steal your hemp plants. And I was like, after they stole them the first time, they probably won't come back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, anyway, I, I had a friend who used to work at a popcorn farm down in mm -hmm. Indiana, 
And he said there was a lot of old hemp growing in the ditches down there. Yeah. From I heard a ditch weed out in South Dakota's or something. Well, that, that's the same thing. And whether that's hemp or wild marijuana, I don't know. I'm no expert. But my friend who worked at this popcorn farm said all summer long there'd be people come by, stomp on the brakes, jump out, <laughs> grab a bunch of plants, and drive <laughs> off with it. And he's like, it was all just hemp left yeah. over from pre-World War II. So I, I don't know. It's... Uh, the government does funny things when it regulates stuff. <laughs> um, now, on kind of a national level, um, as farmers, we can't help but look over the fence at uh, the neighbor's crops. Um, we're looking down at Toledo, Ohio. They just voted to make Lake Erie its own identity <laughs> to where it could possibly sue somebody. We're looking over at Minnesota. They're passing some, I don't want to call it stringent. I don't know if it's nutrients, what they're going after. It's not so much yep. manure, even fertilizer. Nitrate, mainly. Yep. Exactly. Um, do we have laws on the books that look good? Are we? Is there something we should possibly be proactive at? Maybe well, we should get ahead of the curve, or do we have some pretty decent laws on the books? Because we are right in the center of Great Lakes. We are in the middle of the fresh water. Right. Well, I'll tell you, when it comes to the idea of giving personhood or identity to an inanimate objects <laughs> or plants or animals, that is a terrible, terrible road to start walking down. And, you know, we've seen some of that in Europe and in other places. And so, you know, fortunately, this was just a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it was Toledo, I believe, yeah. And not the state. I don't think what they did would be find, found constitutional. Okay. So I think we're okay to, to laugh at that and say that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, if, if you really think about, I mean, we're going to give human rights to animals. We're going to give human rights to, to inanimate objects. I'm not saying we aren't supposed to be stewards and protect mm-hmm, these exactly. things. Obviously we are. But it's a ridiculous notion that we can give human rights to these things and not give human rights to babies. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, with you. I, it yep. just blow your mind with the absurdity of that. And and you start to give human rights to something, it's like, okay, so now we're in this. And if you look at PETA and some of these other groups that say a rat is a pig is a dog is a boy, and th- I mean, that's mm-hmm. what one of their leaders says. And all these things have equal value to them. Mm-hmm. And so how do we determine what thing lives? Well, we have plenty of humans, so this bug that we're almost short on, that's suddenly more important, and we will spend more effort on saving the life of a bug, even at the expense of saving a human life. That's where this all leads to. So mm-hmm. you start giving personhood to lakes. You know, oh. That's what it's going to become. It's going to become the lake is more important than the people. And, and, just means, and that's yeah. where it ends up. Now, they'll say at first, well, this is about having clean water for people. Mm-hmm. That's where it starts. But when you start to give the inanimate object human rights, then other humans, real humans, end up being the, the consequential sufferers. That's where it goes to. It becomes tyranny, environmental tyranny. Mm-hmm. As far as what, and, and, I, and I have strong opinions about that, obviously. Yeah. What Toledo did, I think, is an outlier. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. So I'm not going to. I'm going to keep an eye on it, but I'm not going to worry about it. Um, Minnesota uh, has passed some really strict nitrate standards. Um, They got delayed Mm -hmm. uh, with hopes that uh, different uh, leadership might take over, but it didn't happen. Um, So it looks like they're going to go into place. Um, Minnesota has been real strict and hard on farmers before. I mean, it's not a great state to be a dairy farmer, and it's tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And this looks tough now for crop growers. Especially down in southeast Minnesota, where you have some of the best growing. Yeah, so ground on her. So anyway, uh, I, you know, guys might start looking to go somewhere else because uh, these rules are going to be really tough, and they 
with the margins the way they are, yeah. you got to get every nickel out of every ground and, and do it right. And if you can't, and the reason I'm not worried about it for Michigan at this point is because Michigan has put in place some really excellent um, farmer cooperative type programs mm-hmm. that are making a big difference. Whether it's the meat program, the CNMP, uh, con- mm-hmm. uh, the nutrient management programs, yep. um, and I think that we're just probably sitting in a better position, but I think we also have a little less um, activist crazy, okay. <laughs> crazy activist <laughs> yeah. type going on, and so I don't think, we have a great ag commission. And um, we're not one side either. I think we have like like blueberries, you have a lot of smaller strawberry farms, so I think our agriculture spread out over more people. And uh, sorry about that, folks, but that's exactly where the water softener guy called me, and that's where the in- <laughs> <laughs> where the uh, uh, interview kind of ended, but I can kind of uh, finish up the interview there. Um, what Ed was talking about, basically, is we've got more than enough ample laws and that on the books, he figures. Perhaps we should possibly look at making sure that everyone's following them first before we start getting more of them. We are in Michigan. We are very savvy that uh, we, we're, we're very agricultural savvy and very water conscious. If you look at the state of Michigan, we are surrounded by waters on all ends. So that that so he thinks that we're in pretty good shape there. Hopefully going forward. I asked that at the end of the interview. There's two more. Is there anything else we should really, you know, be concerned about or look at? He said there's kind of two of them. One, he's very concerned right now with the state of Michigan. We are looking at possibly increasing our gas tax substantially in the state. And is and we already pay. I think we're I think we're the highest in the auto oh, insurance wow. already in the state of yeah in the state of Michigan. Yeah, we really get hammered auto insurance. Um, Ed wants to do the approach, and he's kind of well, a typical farmer. He wants to kind of the water tank test where let's make sure that this thing isn't leaking before we start throwing mm-hmm. more money into it. Basically, let's look at it and say, all right, um, are we is the money getting allocated properly? Is it you know are we getting the most bang for our buck? And once that gets established, then let's talk about what we got to fix and what we got to do. The second part was um, on the dairy industry side, and after talking to him, I kind of feel a little more optimistic. Um, Ed firmly believes that we're going to get to the – he talks a lot of times to people in Washington and all this. He firmly believes that to really get this dairy industry kind of uh, figured out and going forward, we need to really look at the federal milk order and how it gets priced. I'm kind of in the same camp with him. Now, Delaney, this is a 70-year-old way of figuring it out. There's always been this this talk of there are six people who know how we price milk <laughs> and five of them are dead. <laughs> and to get to the heart of it, we have to, you know, basically grab the bull by the horns and do it. And Ed thinks, like we were talking earlier, that we seem to be a younger generation that's a little bit more libertarian mindset mm-hmm. to where we'll take on these challenges other than our predecessors. Because the, the old way is, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the younger generation, Delaney, we see the casualties off the field, right? Mm-hmm. So we see all these empty dairy barns. We see all these things. So we, we got to kind of tackle this. It's a 70-year-old way of pricing milk. The idea of taking milk from California to get it to New York, that was never a possibility 70 years ago. And I think if we start looking at that and how we kind of do it, we can go forward and I think we can come up with a better system. But we just got to have that, you know, we have to have the gumption to do it. Absolutely. And I think the younger generation, I think that's why I like listen to your podcast and like a lot of these other podcasts are younger generation. I think we can go forward and get some things done. Awesome. Gary, I love that. Ended on a positive note. Uh, Gary, if folks want to interact with you on Twitter or Facebook or whatever social media channels you're on because they think that you are just so smart. They've loved what you've shared today. How can they do that? 
I think it's Gary Rasmussen J1 on Twitter. If I'm not, um, I think that's what it is. I kind of <laughs> go under for news a little bit, but if you just look up uh, Gary Rasmussen, uh, I think KX Country, the radio station I kind of do, Kicks Country 104.7 out of Escanaba, Michigan. I think they're going to be carrying this broadcast too. So uh, look them up. You can find me around and have fun, all right? All right. Gary, thank you so much for guest co-hosting with me today. I appreciate it. All right. The lady, you can let them go. I say let them go, Joe. They let's won't let them go.